Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So they're setting up this narrative of what's happening, and we see that Jesus is traveling from north to south, and he had to go through this area of Samaria. It's in the central part of Israel. And the Jews and the Samaritans don't like each other. And so the Jews would often actually take a long trip around to get down to Jerusalem because they didn't want to pass through the Samaria. They didn't want to deal with those people. But Jesus and his disciples made their way through Samaria, and they get to this well that was given by Jacob. And Jacob was Jesus' great, 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 and he has a whole bunch of great-grandfathers. He was one of the fathers of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob was, gave the people this well. His family had dug this well. And so they're sitting at this well. And it says to us in verse 6, Jesus was wearied. Okay, he's tired. Which, as we pause here, as, we've been, we, as we think through the book of John and the other Gospels, one of the things that we're introduced to is the person of Jesus, that who is fully God, but he's also fully man. He is truly God and truly man. And this little statement that Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, is a reminder to us that Jesus, although fully God, is also fully man. Because when you go on a long trip and you've been traveling for a while, what happens to you? Anybody else get weary of traveling for long periods of time? Right. And Jesus is weary from this. And so he comes beside this well. He sits down, and it's about noon. It's the sixth hour. It's the middle of the day. And then verse 7 says, And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Okay, and that would be an unusual time for women to go to the well, to go at that time. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Now, again, this is a pointer of Jesus' humanity. He's weary. He also is thirsty. Okay, fully man. And it says, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So Jesus is alone. All his disciples go to the city. They're getting food. Uh, they know Jesus. They're all tired. So they've gone to the grocery store. And while they're gone, Jesus is hanging out by this well. This woman shows up, and Jesus says to her, give me a drink. In verse 9, the woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then we're given this editorial comment, for the Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank it from him, from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus to her, one who drinks of this water, will be, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Well, as we understand what is happening, Jesus is thirsty, sitting by this well. A woman comes up and Jesus breaks the ice with her. He says, give me something to drink. 
And she's looking at that and realizing he doesn't have anything to get water with. And rather than saying, okay, here's a drink, she responds back to him by saying, how is it that you, a Jew, wanted something from me? It's like, why are you interacting with me? This is not how this works. I mean, you're a Jew. You guys don't like us. Why are you interacting with me? You just expect me to give you something because you want it. And we can almost kind of hear some attitude in that. It's like, I'm not, I don't understand why you're doing this. But Jesus doesn't just leave it there. He talks to her about this living water. And what we see in this is that Jesus, as he engages this stranger with the gospel, Well, what we're going to see in this this morning, too, about evangelism. And this evangelism is teaching the Word of God with an aim to persuade others to know, love, and live for Jesus. Okay, That's where Jesus is going to take her. He's wanting to introduce her to something that's going to satisfy her. And so we see in this this idea that, in, in this first part of this, that Jesus engages a stranger with good news. And one of the things I want us to see in that is Jesus doesn't just ignore her. Yeah, Jesus is thirsty, but there are also these cultural norms about, does, in that culture, should a Jewish man be talking to a Samaritan woman and realizing that's not how it all works. But Jesus has come on a mission. Jesus has come not to be served, we're told in Scripture. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so while he's asking her for a drink, he doesn't ignore her. And I just want us to think about how often and how easy it is for us to ignore people. Right? Think about people that are different from us. We have these barriers oftentimes that exist between us. You're standing at a checkout line, and you've got this personal bubble around you, and who do you talk to? Nobody, right? Because that's not just not what we do. Or if somebody does kind of want to start to make eye contact, what do you do? Get your phone. Hey, I'm busy. Don't talk to me. You know, we have all these things that we're going to occupy ourselves with that we're not going to talk. We're not going to go across these barriers. And although we may have need, and we realize that oftentimes, even sometimes when we have need, we don't ask other people to help. We see ourselves as pretty independent. We see ourselves as we can get this done ourselves. I'm good with all of this. But Jesus is setting a pace here. He says to this woman, give me a drink. And I believe, obviously his thirst is real, but he has a bigger agenda. Rather than just getting his needs met, he is, he, he is seeking to engage her in conversations. We see that so Jesus doesn't ignore this woman. We also see that he doesn't, just, he doesn't get defensive. When she's saying, Who do you, why are you talking to me? And we don't see Jesus saying, hey, lady, all I, I just wanted to strike up a conversation. Back off. You know, all you Samaritans are alike. I mean, nobody likes you. There's, obviously, there's a reason for that, the way you guys are, are acting. And so Jesus doesn't get defensive. He hears her say that, and he engages her, and he engages her talking about a gift of God. He he begins engaging her with something that is good news, something that is helpful. He talks to her about this gift of God, and he talks about this living water. And as Jesus begins to talk about this, he, she says to him, wait, I don't understand what you're saying. You're talking about this living water, but you don't. I mean, you don't have a rope, you don't have a bucket, that well's deep. I mean, how could you give me this living water? I mean, you don't even have the bucket to get this physical water out of this well. Where would you give me this living water from? And then Jesus says to her in verse 13, Everyone who drinks of this uh, this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become in him like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
And the woman says, sir, give me this water so that I will not have to be thirsty or come here to draw water. Now, what's going on here is this lady's hearing Jesus talk about living water. Jesus is talking about spiritual truth. He's given her spiritual insight that there are things that God wants to give to you, this gift of God that you'll satisfy you, but she only understands it on a physical plane. I want this water. Where can I get this water? Give it to me and I drink and I'll have to come back to this well. She just sees it as something that's going to meet a physical need. And again, like Nicodemus, when we looked last week, that the reason why this woman doesn't understand spiritual truth was the same reason that Nicodemus didn't understand spiritual truth is because he's merely a natural man. She's a natural woman. She does not understand. Her eyes have not been opened to bigger truth. And so she's confused. She doesn't understand this. But we see Jesus in his grace talking to this woman about hope, about hope, about something that will quench her thirst, something that will satisfy this, if only in her life. And Jesus is talking to her about something that, that, that she gets, and she understands what he's talking about, and she's desiring this gift. And as we understand, before we move on, I want to apply some of this to our own context when we think about the idea of evangelism, about sharing the gospel with others, teaching others to, to the gospel so they'll be persuaded to know, love, and live for Jesus. That as believers in Jesus Christ, we have been called to go and make disciples. We have responsibility and an opportunity to take living water to other people. And we need to be willing to take initiative to cross boundaries and speak of the help and hope that God gives us for a brighter day. And we could think of these barriers. We think about personal bubble barriers and being willing to talk to people in cultural context. Sometimes a barrier of offense that you have between you and your neighbor, a willingness to cross that fence and to go have a conversation with it, to build a relationship with that individual. Maybe there are other barriers that would keep us from this. Maybe the barrier that keeps us from it is just my own schedule that I'm keeping myself so busy and I have so many things going on that I don't have time for anybody else. I don't have time to be having a conversation with somebody about spiritual truths because I've created this personal barrier of, of my own busyness. But oftentimes, even that barrier of, per, barrier of personal busyness is really not about busyness, but about priority. Right? Because most of us aren't burdened with, we're so busy, we can't do anything else. We think we are, but let's suppose last night, Purdue played, well, I don't talk about the Purdue game, it was terrible last night, but let's suppose I have tickets to a football game, and I'm, I'm looking for somebody to go with me, and I say, hey, listen, I'll give you $1,000 if you'll go to the football game with me tomorrow night. How many of you would all of a sudden think, I've got time for that, right? So what's that tell us? It's not about busyness, it's about priority. We do what's valuable to us. We do what's important to us. And so we recognize that, that, that we have responsibility to take initiative, to engage with others, cross boundaries, that we cross those boundaries to talk to others about help and hope for a brighter day, that we will love God and we'll love people enough to cross these, that we will go, that we'll be obedient to the Great Commission. Well, as Jesus is talking to this woman about this, has he got her interest in verse 15? Sir, give me this water. Okay, she's interested, right? 
She's interested in what Jesus has to say. And it's interesting because where Jesus goes with her interest isn't just to say, hey, I'm the living water you're looking for. You need to trust me. That's where he's going to get to, but that's not where he starts. Because he begins in verse 16 to help her to understand a greater thirst that she has. And verse 16 says, and she said, he, Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you, are now, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you said is true. Jesus in his divine wisdom, knows that this woman has been married five times and that she's living with a guy right now. And he is talking to her about that. So what is he talking to her about? Her sin. Before Jesus is going to tell her about this living water and where to get it, he is raising and helping her to see this is more than just about drinking of living water. This is about dealing with the longings in your own heart. Longing with the dealing with the longings that are in your heart that lead you away from God. Because we would ask the steward, what's the deal with this woman and five husbands and she's living with a guy? What we would say is, this woman's thirsty. She's thirsty. And she's thinking that what's going to satisfy her thirst is the right guy. If only... I find the right guy. If only I can have this relationship. If only, then I'll be satisfied. Then I will never thirst again. And she's looking and looking and looking and looking. And how well is that accomplishing? Any, is that accomplishing anything for her? No. And so Jesus confronts her with her sin. And her sin, not just on a practical level, but her sin at a heart level. He's, he's talking to her about the fruit, and the fruit is her immorality. What is the root is her lack of satisfaction, is her thirst. And it's not working for her. Keep your place here and turn with me in the Old Testament book of, to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 2, and what we see going on in this woman is what we see going on in the lives of the nation of Israel at the time of Jeremiah. This is on page 628 in a pew Bible. Page 628. And what's going on in the heart of this woman is what Jeremiah is addressing in Jeremiah 2.13. It is also what goes on in our heart, in every one of us. And it's this image that is, it's, 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 you'll, you'll get it very clearly. So this woman is looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. She's looking for love in all the wrong places. She's wanting to satisfy her thirst in different places. What's going on under the surface? Jeremiah 2.13 says this, For my people have committed two evils. Okay? So there are two things that God has against his people. The first one, they have forsaken me. They have turned away from me. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. That my people have committed to you. They have forsaken me. And he describes himself as the fountain of living waters. It's a cool picture, isn't it? 
this fountain of living water. And we think about a fountain is different than a well, right? This fountain is this source that water is just bubbling up. It's bubbling up, bubbling up, bubbling up. And Jesus calls himself, the, or God calls himself a fountain of living water. I am the source of life. I am the source of satisfaction. I am the source of all that you're going to need that's going to meet your thirst. I am all of that. And yet what have we done? We've all turned away. That we have forsaken him. That's the first sin. The second one is this. And we have hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So it's not simply that we have turned to God. We've turned from God. We turn from God and we're just kind of doing our own things. But we're turning from God to something that we think is better than God. See, the heart of us and what's going on in our hearts is we look for God's substitutes. We look at looking for something else to satisfy us, to comfort us, to strengthen us, to help us. We, we turn from God and we turn to these other things. The Bible describes these as idols of our hearts. Things that we long for, these if-onlys, if-onlys. God, I know you said that, but I'm turning to something else. Listen, all of this started in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve in the Garden. What was Eve promised? Something better. And the way you get that something better is to turn from God and you carve out another cistern. Take the fruit and eat what God said don't do. Carving out this other cistern. And yet, over here, we have this fountain of living water of God is bubbling up, bubbling up, bubbling up. Over here, I exchange that fountain of living water for a cistern that I've carved out on my own. I've dug it all out and it doesn't hold any water. And because it doesn't have any water, what, what am I left with? Thirst. I'm still thirsty. And so what do I do? Rather than turn to God, what do we do? We keep digging. Well, if it's not here, I'm going to dig another well. I'm going to dig another well. And we're looking and looking and looking for this one thing that's going to satisfy me. And Jesus is telling us, this woman, that Jesus is saying that there's living water that he wants to give to us. And if we've turned away from him, the responsibility we have to find this living water is to turn to him. And as we turn to him, okay, now let's, so God is a fountain of living water. We turn to broken cisterns. Okay, now let's put that together. Jesus is saying there's living water that he wants to give her. She's got five husbands. Okay? Her broken cistern has been these relationships. All these people, all the satisfaction she's looking for in men. And what is she finding that to be? Empty. It's empty. And if we look at this in John chapter, back to John chapter 4, we recognize that Jesus in this is loving this woman in the midst of telling her good news. So what we see here is that Jesus, he is tying good news of this fountain of living water, this good news of a brighter day, this good news of hope. He's tying it to her true need. He doesn't just say, here's a cup of water. He said, no, no, no. You need to understand the depths of your thirst and where it comes from. He's helping her to see that she, he is exposing to her a deeper thirst. A deeper thirst that's more than just these men, but there's this longing in her heart that is not being satisfied. 
And, and, and in this context, then the woman is hearing this, and she's hearing Jesus talk to her about her husbands. Well, what's her response? Well, back in John chapter 4, Jesus confronts this woman about these five husbands, this guy she's living with, and she does what we do. What does she do? Look in verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. You didn't figure this out. There's something special about you. And then she says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. What is she? Well, I don't want to talk about my husbands and the guy I'm living with. I don't want to talk about my sin. I don't want to talk about this. Let's talk about worship. Let's, let's talk about spiritual things. I mean, because that seems right to talk about spiritual stuff if we're talking about sin. So let's talk about worship. And so she's like, ah, it's dodges. Let's don't talk about this. But Jesus, in, uh, in this incredible picture, he's like, you want to talk about worship? That's exactly what we need to be talking about. Because your longing and what's going on in your heart and this thirst, it's ultimately all about worship. It is ultimately all about what you truly love and what you're truly longing for. And so in verse 21, Jesus says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Now, the Samaritans, they worship God on Mount Gerizim, okay, and the Jews worship in Jerusalem. And so there's this debate about where's the right place of worship. The Samaritans were convinced they were right. Jesus and or the Jews were convinced they were right, that it's in Jerusalem. Jesus says to her in verse 22, You worship what you do not know. Jesus is correcting her. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. And so he corrects her wrong understanding that the Mount Gerizim is the place of worship. No, no, no. This is not about a place of worship. But if there is a place of worship, it's Jerusalem because salvation is going to come through the Jewish people. And he says in verse 23, But the hour is coming and is now here. So it's coming, but it's already here too. It's already, but not yet. He says when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And so he's making this distinction between false worshipers and true worshipers. True worshipers are worshiping who? What's your text say? True worshipers will worship the Father. Okay? And how will they worship Him? In spirit and truth. Now, some of your versions have a capital S for spirit. Some of you have small letter S. Uh, capital would be it's referring to the Holy Spirit. So we worship Jesus in the Holy Spirit and also in the truth of God's Word. I think a better translation is a small s, that we worship God not only according to the Word of God, but according to the depths of our hearts, our spirit. Okay, so I think it's a small s is there. If your Bible says something different, you can study that on your own. But it, the point is that true worshipers worship the Father. In spirit and in truth. Now, we've been talking a bunch over the last several weeks about, about these options, about what do we worship. And it ultimately boils down to, I'm going to live life on my terms or God's terms. I'm going to worship me and all the things I think I should worship, or I'm going to worship God. And Jesus is laying this out, and he says, true worshipers worship the Father. Now it says, the Father is seeking such people to worship him which is a great news, that God is looking for worshipers. 
He is seeking worshipers. What we see in the Bible is we, seek, we find a seeking God who is seeking people who aren't seeking him. We see a God who's bringing water to people who are thirsty, but they don't know how thirsty they are. And so Jesus is bringing that, and it says in verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So, living water, the woman says, I want it. And Jesus says, hold on, let's talk about your real thirst. Let's talk about your sin. She's like, I don't want to talk about that. Let's talk about worship. And Jesus is like, oh yeah, worship's what we need to talk about because worship is the root of this. It is what you truly long for, what you truly love, because what you truly long for and are truly loving is not the Father but yourself. And Jesus is calling her to help her to understand that the transition must take place. And so Jesus explains this worship to her, and he explains to her that true satisfaction comes from true worship. Worshiping the right things is where right and real satisfaction comes from. Her thirst will be quenched if her worship gets right. And so, Jesus is talking to her about this worship, and then in verse 25, it seems the woman's a little confused or trying to sort all that out in her head, and she says in verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is he who is called the Christ? Okay, the Samaritans, their understanding of God is rooted in some Old Testament scriptures, not the full scriptures, but some of them, and they had this idea of a Messiah who's coming. And she knows if this Messiah comes, he's going to make all this clear. Because I'm really wrestling with this. I'm not your living water, true worship on this mountain. I don't know. The, the Messiah, when he comes, he'll make it all clear. And Jesus then says to her in verse 36, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, we don't pick this up in our English translations because our English translations want to make this good grammar and the sentences flow. But what Jesus actually says here is, I who speak to you, I am. Now, she's familiar with her Old Testament. And if we're familiar with our Old Testament, she is saying, when Messiah comes, he's going to make all this straight. And Jesus says to her, I who speak to you, I am. Ego me, the Greek words. And so he says to her, he's the Messiah. He's the one who is going to make all this straight, and I've just done that for you. I am the Messiah. I am the one that God has sent to make everything right. And I'm starting Samaritan Woman to help you to understand how you can be right with the Father. I'm introducing to you to hope. I'm introducing to you to help. I'm introducing you to the one and this living water. I am the source of this living water. I am the living water. And so this woman understands this, and Jesus is revealing to her the hope, the source of true hope is him, is God himself in the flesh standing right before her. He is the source of living water. He is the living water. And when we understand this, Jesus says, when we understand him and we embrace him as we receive this living water back earlier it says it will become in us a spring of water welling up in us to eternal life and so if we could draw a picture of this if if we could draw a picture of us and so we got our head and our body and we got a square body and our legs down here and a stick figure and we see in this inside this is this 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 heart with a crack in it and everything's leaking out 
I'm looking for everything to fill it. I'm looking for anything to fill my heart, to satisfy me. And it's leaking out, leaking out, leaking out. That's my well. And Jesus is saying, listen, you drink of this living water. And drinking of this living water, you get a new heart. There's this brand new heart that you're giving. It is a brand new heart that not only holds water, but is a source, an overflowing spring. So inside me, in my heart, is flowing out of me life. This life and this satisfaction that is the person of Jesus. He is our satisfaction. He is the one who satisfies our thirst. He is the if only. He is the one thing that will satisfy us all. And it's beautiful. And why can Jesus do that? Because he knows all of our hearts. He knows every one of our hearts. And he loves us. And he has come to give us a new heart and to satisfy us in ways we never could thought we could. We go from thing to thing to thing, and Jesus says, I'm the source. And this morning, I want to help us as a church to understand, first of all, that this is what Jesus does for us. If you're visiting with us this morning, you're trying to figure this out, this is the message of hope. This is the message of promise that God's giving to us to quench the thirst that we have that we think is going to be filled in all the things we chase. He says, come to me. I will give you rest. I will give you this living water. And for believers, that we would understand that God's given this to us and that we would be living out this and, and not be working to carve out other cisterns, but to be, to be drinking deeply at the fountain of living water. And that we would then, as a church, that we would wisely address people. As we speak to them about living water, that we wisely address the problem of sin, and we would talk about true worship. True worship. What I know, what I love, what I live for, that's true worship. And I would even encourage you maybe this morning to ask, what is it if, I, if, if somebody was taking a snapshot of my life, if somebody was looking at my life, and they didn't know hardly anything about me, all they know is my schedule, they know my relationships, they know my finances, and um, those, those three things, that's what all they know about me. Would they conclude that I know, love, and live for Jesus? Or would they say, no, seems like they know, love, and live for their family, which is a good thing, but it's a well, it's a different well. Maybe say, well, it would say that I know, love, and live for my job. I'm a good employee. People have, I do good work. Would people say, no, that I, they, I know, love, and live for its relationship. I know, love, and live for this better life, a better house, a better car. I know, love, and live for this. Or they conclude, no, that person truly does know, love, and live for Jesus. He is what they're drinking from. He is their source of living water. They're not looking for life in all this other stuff. They found life in Jesus and found him to be completely satisfying. Their whole life is reoriented according to that. And so this morning, as we consider these ideas about, about what is living water, these two big ideas, that Jesus wants us to be a people who are satisfied with living water, but then we are also a people who are taking living water to a thirsty world that we would do that together. And this morning, I know there are a couple more points on your bulletin. We're not getting to them this morning, so you can 
fill in those blanks later. Or come tonight, because we'll fill them in tonight. But I want to encourage you this morning. Jesus is our hope. He is what will satisfy. He is what our thirsty world needs. And will we as a church be willing to take this gospel across barriers and help others to know, love, and live for Jesus? I want to encourage you with that this morning. We're going to pray in just a moment. We're going to receive our offering, and uh, the music team's going to come. We're going to sing while we take our offering at the end. And I want to encourage you, if maybe God is working in you in a specific way, that you say, you know what, it's time for me to draw a line in the sand and say, it's time for me to drink of this living water. Or maybe you'd say, it's time for me to get out of my comfort zone, cross some barriers, and help others to find what will satisfy your thirst. If you need to draw a line in the sand this morning, you can certainly do it where you are. But I'd encourage you maybe to come forward. I'll be sitting up front and chat with me or just come forward and pray. But to respond to God in some way this morning to say, because of what I've heard today, I will. So if our ushers will come, let's receive our offering and pray and we'll sing. Father, we are grateful for your grace. You have loved us by offering to us living water something that will quench our deepest thirst. Lord, I pray that you would help us to dig and mind yours to see that this is true. God, I pray that you would help us to examine our own hearts to know that, that we do need you. Lord, that we would turn.